You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Great strides have been made in the treatment of acute coronary syndromes, but how do we primary care providers cement those gains? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, your host, and with me today is Dr. Sean Goodman, Associate Head and Staff Cardiologist at St. Michael's Hospital, Associate Professor of Medicine at the University of Toronto, both of those in Toronto, Ontario, and Co-Chair of the Canadian Heart Research Center. Thank you for being with us, Dr. Goodman. My pleasure. Dr. Goodman is a primary care doctor. I want to know how I should cement these gains that you have accomplished for me in the ER and in the cath lab when my patient comes back to me in the office after an MI. Well, I think it's critical that apart from these first few days that we maintain the therapies that have been initiated in hospital, it's critical that those get translated often over the course of a patient's lifetime to be able to continue to realize the gains of these groundbreaking therapies. And I really approach this as the as ABCs and sort of use that acronym uh, to be able to remember uh, each time I'm seeing a patient myself in their uh, initial follow-up uh, after the acute myocardial infarction or presentation to hospital with unstable angina to make sure that I've got all my bases covered. And maybe Maybe we can focus first on some of those medical therapies. Under the A section, there's essentially antiplatelet therapy and ACE inhibitors. So the antiplatelet therapy is aspirin, and aspirin is going to be continued for life absolutely. Clopidogrel or Plavix is an excellent therapy that has been shown to be beneficial in the acute myocardial infarction and uh, unstable angina setting. That benefit can continue to be realized at least over the course of one year. So traditionally, those patients, once they've left the hospital, we continue both aspirin and clopidogrel for a one-year course. And that's, of course, uh, particularly crucial if a patient has also had a stent. They absolutely buy a ticket to have clopidogrel for the course of one year. After one year's time, it remains unclear as to whether there's an ongoing advantage of giving clopidogrel in addition to aspirin. So I think that the current data does not suggest that we should give anything beyond a year's time apart from aspirin from an antiplatelet perspective. Now, the other A to remember is an ACE inhibitor, and there's a definite benefit very early on in hospital uh, to using that therapy and for the first month's time. But even beyond that time, we now have several studies that show that there's apparent vascular protection. So even in patients uh, who don't have heart failure, who don't have left ventricular systolic dysfunction, which before would have been an indication uh, to give an ACE inhibitor, and still is, of course, but we know even with the medical management post-acute coronary syndrome patients, there is vascular protection to the ongoing use of ACE inhibitor therapy, and those studies have gone for three to four years' time. Of course, we don't have lifetime studies, but presumably this is therapy, if well-tolerated, that will also be continued for vascular protection for the lifetime of a patient following myocardial infarction. Now, under the B comes the beta blockers and blood pressure lowering. Of course, the two can go hand in hand. We know that beta blockers have a role both acutely uh, and certainly out to somewhere between one to five years uh, time. There are studies uh, that have shown that beta blocker compared to placebo or control is beneficial, again, following an acute coronary syndrome. But even uh, in addition to beta blockade, we need to make sure that uh, risk factors such as hypertension with whatever appropriate therapies, even if ACE inhibitor and beta blocker by themselves don't uh, exert the control that we want, uh, we may need additional therapies to make sure that blood pressure lowering is adequate. Now, the C for me is cholesterol lowering therapy, 
And we would emphasize, again, that the use of, in particular, statins, both acutely, but in the long term, out to several years' uh, time, and again, probably for the lifetime of the patient, is critical to reduce uh, subsequent events such as myocardial infarction, stroke, uh, and death. Under D, we want to look at, obviously, don't smoke. So uh, smoking cessation is, is critical. And each time the patient visits, even if they're not yet prepared to discontinue smoking or they've fallen off the wagon after leaving the hospital or after promising that they're going to quit smoking, it's really important that the primary care physicians remind uh, the, the patient, at least on uh, each visit uh, basis, that smoking uh, continuing to smoke will double or triple the risk of having another heart attack. And in contrast, if they're able to stop smoking, they can fairly rapidly reduce their risk to the point where they can reduce the risk from a cardiovascular event perspective, almost back to the risk of a non-smoker if they're able to quit smoking and stay off of smoking. Now, the other important Ds are diabetes control. We've seen a real epidemic of diabetes, and in acute coronary syndrome, this is unfortunately no different. As many as one in four patients who present with acute coronary syndrome and myocardial infarction already have a history of diabetes, and of course, we pick up even more patients in hospital that have elevated blood sugars. So, diabetes control is critical over the lifetime of the patient. The therapies that are beyond the scope of our discussion uh, would be critical, and that would include, of course, particularly in type 2 diabetics, diet, and that's the other D that I always try to remember. It's a really tough one, of course, and uh, we're not going to get people to be on completely low-fat vegetarian diets. That's probably not realistic in most people's uh, cases, at least not to maintain, but some uh, dietary modification is very important, and I have to admit, as a, as a physician, I didn't learn a whole lot about diet when I was going through medical school or even some of my subsequent special training. So I really rely on a multidisciplinary team and involving a, a good registered dietitian who can consult and can uh, pr provide the patient with the adequate amount of time and uh, answer the right questions, I, I think is a really critical component. Now there's uh, some E's and F's. The E is uh, exercise. And we know that regular uh, activity, even if it means uh, walking uh, to a fairly uh, brisk level, ideally for anywhere between 20 to 30 minutes a day, uh, five to seven times per week, can reduce patients' uh, chances of having second heart attacks and dying from another heart attack. And F is the follow-up. It's, it's critical that we revisit this checklist with the patient every time that they come to see us, at least on an annual basis. And so I think all of these things, these ABCs, can be something that each of us can uh, visit each time the patient comes back and follow-up. You're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, and I'm speaking with Dr. Sean Goodman, Associate Head and Staff Cardiologist at St. Michael's Hospital and Co-Chair of the Canadian Heart Research Center. We we are discussing the follow-up of patients with acute coronary syndromes. Dr. Goodman, let me take you back and as a way of review, but also I have a few questions about the A, B, C, D, E's, and F's. In terms of A, you mentioned the antiplatelet therapy. I imagine for people who have gastrointestinal issues in terms of bleeding or other peptic issues, we put them on a PPI and continue that aspirin. Absolutely. That's a really good point. We know that the bleeding risk with aspirin is dose-related. So the first step, of course, is to give as low a dose of aspirin as we can get away with uh, from a cardiovascular protective effect, while at the same uh, time lowering the risk of side effects, in particular bleeding. And there have been a number of studies in the last few years that suggest we can probably get away with on a chronic basis, on an outpatient basis, with much lower dosing of aspirin uh, than we had used in the past. And certainly a baby aspirin a day is all one 
one needs to protect the heart. And we do know that the risk of bleeding, major bleeding, for example, over the course of a year is probably halved by using a baby dose as compared to just a regular aspirin. And then as you correctly point out, it's critical in those patients who are at risk, and some would argue if patients are on dual antiplatelet therapy, maybe should be even given as a routine during the course of that first year, one of the PPI. Uh, agents to to protect the stomach. And and then with regard to the other part of the dual therapy, I know that you're a researcher and very evidence-based as a person paying malpractice insurance. I mean, with all this controversy about late stent stenosis, is there room to keep people on Plavix for more than one year? Well, this uh, is an excellent question because we know that in the acute setting and then all the way out to one year's time, whether you get a stent or you're just a patient with a myocardial infarction, that there is a definitive benefit of the therapy. The studies, of course, stop around a month's time in some cases or at the latest one year's time. And so whether ongoing dual antiplatelet therapy, both from a cost perspective and a bleeding perspective, those have to be factored in compared to the potential benefits that we realize acutely and over the course of a year. Now, there is a study that helps guide us. That is called Charisma, and that's a study that looked at high vascular risk patients, uh, the vast majority of whom had had an atherosclerotic event like a heart attack or a stroke or they had documented peripheral arterial disease. It took those high-risk patients, about 12,000 of them. Of course, this is removed from the acute coronary syndrome, so they didn't have a recent myocardial infarction or a recent stent or any other clear indication uh, for Plavix at the time that they were enrolled in the study. And they essentially looked over the course of two to three years at Plavix compared to a placebo in this high vascular risk population. And somewhat disappointingly, the overall results of the trial did not show a reduction in cardiovascular events. And in particular, there was no mortality reduction in this patient population. Not surprisingly, there was a slight increase in the risk of major bleeding and and an increase in the risk of minor bleeding because you're combining two antiplatelet therapies, aspirin and Plavix. And of course, I should mention, all those patients got aspirin. All those patients got all the other usual therapies that we talked about, like statins, and beta blockers and all the other evidence-based therapy, the real comparison here was between Plavix and placebo. Now, there are subgroups that the authors have subsequently uh, pointed out may end up benefiting, uh, particularly high-risk patients who have atherosclerotic disease manifesting in in, uh, previous heart attack, etc. But I think we have to take the totality of the information in that single trial, maybe the only one we have. It didn't suggest that there was a mortality reduction with dual antiplatelet therapy in the same way that we've seen mortality reductions with things like statins and beta blockers. And the other A was the ACE inhibitor. Two quick questions in that regard. Number one, given the HOPE data, is there one ACE inhibitor or one type of ACE inhibitor that would be preferable? And then if somebody is coughing, do the ARBs have the same benefit? Great question. So the data that we have, and and as you were pointing out before, I try to stick to the evidence base because that's the most solid ground I feel that I can stand on. The HOPE study, as you mentioned, that used Ramipril, also known as Altace, and showed a definite vascular protection benefit over the course of time. There's another study that was uh, called Europa uh, that was done, as you might imagine, from the acronym uh, in uh, non-North American in in European countries, and they showed a very similar benefit uh, compared to placebo on the backdrop of usual care uh, with the the ACE inhibitor called Perindopril. So those are the two ACE inhibitors that I would use uh, preferentially in the setting of 
vascular protection because those two uh, studies definitively showed an advantage. Of course, one could argue that this is a class effect, that other ACE inhibitors have been shown in heart failure and other settings to be beneficial as well. But if one is going for sort of long-term vascular protection, those are the two therapies that I might preferentially uh, go to first. Now, we do know, as you pointed out, that patients, there are side effects, uh, and I guess one of the unique side effects of uh, ACE inhibitors, all of them, unfortunately, is a non-productive cough. And this can be uh, more than just a nuisance for, for some patients to the point where they really uh, can't stand it. And uh, in those cases, a couple of important points. First of all, unfortunately, it's not a dose-related thing. This is a common misconception that if somehow the patient's on a high dose and you lower it, that they'll be less likely to cough. And unfortunately, that's not the case. So it's not a matter of adjusting the dose. If they cough on an ACE inhibitor, they're going to cough on that ACE inhibitor really regardless of the dose you use. Now, sometimes you can try another ACE inhibitor, but unfortunately, if they cough on one, the chances are pretty high that they're going to cough on another, although not all the time, and so sometimes I'll try that. I want to thank Dr. Sean Goodman, who's been our guest, as we've been discussing some of the therapies primary care providers need to continue after an acute coronary syndrome. Dr. Goodman outlined the A, B, C, D, E's, and F's, the A's being antiplatelet therapy and ACE inhibitors, B's beta blocker and blood pressure control, C, cholesterol control, D, don't smoke, diabetes and diet, E, exercise, and F, follow-up. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.